Hey, everybody, you're very welcome to this week's Listener's Questions episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. This is the September issue, and as you know, we're going out once a month at the moment. Uh, and it's been a while since we've done this, so please uh, excuse my rustiness if my podcast voice is not quite up to scratch. But it gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest on today's show. The person who's joining me for the Listener's Questions part of today's podcast is Irish Times columnist Jen Hogan. And Jen is a good friend of mine, so a little uncomfortable giving her a glittering uh, introduction. <laughs> but uh, Jen is 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 a Irish Times columnist, and I have to say, I started. Many of you know I started writing the examiner this year, and Jen has been an immense help to me in many ways in trying to to guide me around the journalism field was something completely new to me, and she's just been a great support and direction of me. And if anyone has any. Uh, time on your hands you need to get in touch with, with Jen's writing she has a unique ability to be witty relatable but actually nailing some really core issues in terms of what it is and again the mum of seven thing is something that I think you know is only a part of Jen's skill set Jen has an immense kind of connection with parents through social media and through Instagram she has her finger on the pulse in terms of what parents are going through and really she nails it on the head and almost is ahead of the curve in terms of the worries that we've had. And over COVID and you know through the turbulent times of the last year and a half, her insights have just become so important to all of us who struggled with trying to manage pandemics and manage to- the, the toll of, of parenting and homeschooling and getting back to school and readjustments. Um, and I just think she has a huge amount to offer. So it's a real, real pleasure for me to have Jen on the podcast today. And I, I know all of you will gain greatly from her insights. So Jen, how are you? Oh, come on, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much. That's a really lovely intro. Thanks very much. And it, uh, I'm good, I'm good. I'm delighted to be back on the podcast. Um, you know, get, getting back into the swing of things that the kids being back at school and the activities resuming and all the chaos that goes hand in hand that we'd kind of forgotten about a little bit because we were there trying to fill fill our time with, I suppose, nice things for the kids, occupying the kids in a nice way away from the homeschool. But now we're kind of getting back on the getting back on the road again and getting back to normality normal it's it's kind of peeking through so I'll be glad when we see a little bit more normality because it's still strange in schools for kids it's still very strange and I think that is something I'm very aware of but otherwise I am fantastic thank you <laughs> it is it is it is strange to reboard and I, I wrote about that only a few weeks ago about you know even myself and I, I hated the, the working from home thing and I was really looking yeah. forward to getting back into the university and onto the campus yeah. and but it was a little unnerving, you know, when you were there and there was lots of people around just from the pure fact that it was unfamiliar, you know, yeah. that, that that there was and you were it was kind of driven into you about social distance and standing back and sanit- and uh, and you felt a little bit catapulted. And I really do. I did have a moment of identifying what it must be like for kids you know, who are back in secondary school and back to that. And, and a lot of the young people who've spoken to me have talked about how different the the, the new return to normal is and oftentimes you know how, how many are struggling and a lot of the questions Jen that we've gotten in over the last month especially because it, when we deliberately left it to the end of September to kind of get most of those school questions in there is a real theme of readjustment issue you know trying yeah. to get back to something that was so familiar to us 20 months ago but has been unfamiliar for the last year and a half and um, like have you had any issues around your own adult readjustment to the return to the previous normal? 
I think I've been chomping at the bit to get back to normal, to be honest. I mean, I followed all the rules, you know, did all the social distancing and wasn't seeing people. But I did find it incredibly difficult. I found the second lockdown, um, I'd, I'd actually, you know, nearly come out in the, the hyperventilating, even thinking that we might have to do something at the beginning, which hopefully we never will. But just re- recalling how difficult it was. So getting back to normal, I... Anytime now studio rings, so if I'm doing something on TV or radio and generally we've got that move back towards going in in person again. And I'm really excited at the prospect as, as opposed to actually doing things from the from the transit office as usual, like I am now. But um, as I, I've enjoyed getting back to normal, I have, but it has been really strange. I went down to Cork, I was down in RT Cork the other day and I had to get the train down. And of course, all uh, public transport is back to full capacity. So even being on the bus and being on the train and people sitting beside you, sitting beside strangers again, it was a bit strange. It was a bit a bit weird. And you're very conscious of um, personal space and you don't want to touch off the person beside you more because you're afraid that they might be offended. And, and you, I almost felt apologetic that somebody had to sit beside me. And it was just it was just a little bit strange like that. Now, I have to admit, within a short space of time, I ju- it just went back to normal. It was fine. There was a man sitting across from me on the train and he was working away and he, he made a little bit of conversation and it just, it felt normal. And being back in studio, it feels normal again. It felt a lot normal. Of course, they're they're sanitizing and wiping everything down between you and the previous guest and you do feel a little bit offended, <laughs> if I'm honest. God, honestly, I'm I'm clean, I promise. Because there isn't the great unclean. Have you got the Rona? You know, there, but there is, there, um, it, it was, um, I mean, it's been an adjustment that I've enjoyed in lots of regards because I am glad to get back here. I am glad and I, I'm glad to see kind of some sort of normality returning. For my own kids going back to school, they're, I suppose my secondary schoolers, they're, they're at a stage where they're still in masks and they're not moving around between different classes. So they're finding secondary school very abnormal. They don't have things like their lockers back. The fact that my, I've, I've somebody who started in first year this year. So that was a huge transition for him. He went from a school where there was no masks and where there was a certain amount of acceptance that these are our younger children. And so, you know, we can only expect so much into secondary school where obviously they have to wear masks. They can't move around between the different classes practical subjects aren't happening to the same degree um, different school sports haven't completely returned things are are still coming back but but slowly coming back and there is still a huge abnormality there isn't to say the mixing at lunchtime that sort of time where you go and you get a chance to mix with all the new first years or perhaps if you have a friend in a different first year class within the same school that you could catch up with them that's not allowed to happen because obviously they have to stay in their own class so that's all very strange for the first year and he is he's certainly finding that very different to what he anticipated having had older siblings go through and heard about the that transition and then for my primary schoolers going back yeah, they, some of them have found it hard. I mean, they are all thankfully very happy in school, my primary schooler kids. Um, but there's one in particular I would have a little bit of worries about, um, my youngest child in particular, who he doesn't remember life before the pandemic. You know, he was in Montessori when it started and he's very keen to make sure those little hands are spotless all the time. And he'll come home and it'll be the first thing he'll do. And I can't give you a hug because I have to wash my hands. And he'll well up if he thinks that's not washed. He's still very conscious of following the rules and I I look at him and I know yes it's great and the kids could perhaps lead by example many would argue in terms of following those COVID rules but at the same time I compare him 
perhaps unfairly because he's grown up in very different circumstances to his older siblings who would have had much more freedom of action and freedom of movement and freedom of thought at that stage where he considers everything in, in that regard and he's become aware as has some of my other children particularly because there was a lot of talk and it was all over the news when the primary schools were going back and there was all this talk about should primary school children be in masks and is it going to or is it let it rip you know this kind of inflammatory talk that was happening about is it going to be just let rip through the the primary schools and they became aware of this on the news again it was the first time in a while I became aware that I was going to have to police what my children were exposed to again because I didn't want to heighten their worries you know we were continuing on so it's been an adjustment getting back to normal but an adjustment that personally I'm glad of I can maybe appreciate why things are as they are for my children but I do hope we continue towards normality because we're not there yet and I wouldn't like to see us settle where we are because it, it is still very strange and even as parents you're removed from the school there isn't because you're not allowed into the building or you're you're to drop and go or you, I suppose personally I have things like different staggered collections and drop-offs so those sort of conversations that maybe happened as a family going down to the school that doesn't happen because different people are due here at different times and there's a bit more panic and mayhem but they're not being able to mix they see their friend across the playground and um, the yard but that friend's in a different class or a different pod and they can't play with that friend I'll be glad when we move on and when things become more normal and the kids can be kids as kids should be and not just confined to their to their own little pod or classroom or bubble or whichever it is in their own circumstances yeah it's interesting you say that because I think that reflects I would have said in the last lockdowns the teenage piece was probably the peak worry period or that cohort much more this time it is the under 12s that that <clears throat> granted that might be that the cumulative time of developmental delay that they've had is starting to catch up uh, with them now um but yeah i do think there is that the, the anxiety maybe and maybe because our north of 12 year olds have had some degree of vaccine there's some degree of calmness yeah. in that environment but um definitely the, the concerns and through the emails and things that i would get which would be kind of my thermometer of where things are at from a mental health perspective, it would be the under 12s is the bulk of the stuff that I've gotten over the last few weeks. But um, come here, we'll crack on and we'll see what questions people have come in with. And, and, and I think probably some of the themes we've just already started talking about may, may come up in this. So let's go. The first question I have is my six-year-old son has developed a number of issues over the past two years. We're at a loss as to what to do. I spoke to my GP and he gave me the name of a play therapist who I phoned, but she's not available. And we're not sure where, if that's the best place to start. Firstly, at about age four, while attending creche, he developed a fear of fruit. This happened before COVID. Before this, he would eat everything for us at home, including fruit. He always was very outgoing, would talk to everyone with confidence. People described him as our local politician. Now he won't sit in the same room as anyone eating fruit and put a shield between him and the fruit so he can't see it. He gets upset if people leave fruit peel around the place. And even if you say the word fruit, he can get kind of concerned. He'll eat yogurt, smoothies, et cetera, once it's camouflaged. Um, he's a smart child, has struggled socially in school, but has finished junior infants and teacher found that he didn't talk much or interact with his peers in the class or yard. He would talk to teacher one-to-one, but not in the whole class setting. Before starting preschool, he was very confident and outgoing. His older sister would have been more reserved. Unfortunately, this development coincided with COVID, and so it put a real spanner in the works. As a family, we followed all the guidelines and restrictions. I would normally have made contact with birthday parties, but he missed his fifth and sixth birthday parties with classmates due to COVID restrictions. Uh, and I didn't know anyone in his class to set up play dates, et cetera. 
We've made efforts to improve this since the relaxation of the restrictions uh, by getting him involved in sports and moving out more with neighbors, kids, etc. And he goes along and he makes a big effort, but he still doesn't relate much to peers, though we see some signs of this improving. He seems happy when he scores the occasional goal or gets the courage to play with another child, but it just doesn't come easy to him. Sometimes he doesn't like very loud noises at the cinema, gets really anxious uh, when the loud mar- music starts. Um, he's sensitive to some other loud noises when he's in bed. He wouldn't like to hear our TV if the door is left open. He doesn't get upset. He just tells us to stop the loud noise occasionally um, and puts a hand over his ears if there's a lawnmower or a truck. He doesn't have repetitive actions like flapping or stimming, and he makes good eye contact. Eye contact. He can empathize with others in excellent communication at times. His latest thing is the way he speaks. He's overpronouncing every word, particularly the D, S, S, Ts and Ts, to the point that it's hard to understand him. And sometimes it sounds uncomfortable. He started reading the, the Oxford readers by choice at night. And I think that maybe he's replicating this slow, deliberate pronunciation in his everyday speech now. Uh, as I mentioned, we considered play therapy, but aren't sure if this is the way forward. I wonder if you think that would be the best approach. Um, again, the... What's your initial thoughts on that one, Jen? So much in there, isn't there, Coleman? Mm. So much. Um, I mean, it's. I, I think I can see where what the parent is worrying about. I can see where she thinks there may be an issue or what she's she's actually concerned about. And, but it, it is quite difficult because of the timing and how it's coincided with with uh, COVID and the restrictions and and all the natural opportunities that the child would have had to even not work on his social skills and to, you know, those, those opportunities where perhaps I know if they had been me, I would have looked to do play dates and birth because if I had a child and I do have children of very different um, so levels of social skills, you know, some are very outgoing, some are much shyer and the sort of thing that you do to try and help any child there is perhaps bring, um, do a couple of play dates and try and help them mix on a smaller scale to so build their confidence and hopefully they can take that to this school schoolyard and the playground and the classroom but of course that's all been very difficult now and very challenging now and they have kids have been in a time of heightened anxiety where they're he- hearing lots of rules he's he's only six years old god love him so he probably would have been in Montessori as well when the pandemic started so you can even hear her refer to how confident he was there and then the rug was pulled from underneath him he goes into an unfamiliar environment which is even more unfamiliar and then we have school closures and there I there is a part there, I suppose, that will have to be considered. It sounds to me, however, like the fact that she's focusing on sensory issues and the fact that she's focusing on um, social interactions and she mentioned flapping, that she's concerned that perhaps her son maybe has some additional needs and that she doesn't know what route to go, whether it is to have a look at is it is it difficulties caused by the pandemic or is is does he actually have maybe perhaps additional needs the sensory issues that she's raising the likes of the loud noises and and things like that i mean i obviously i am not an expert on this but it sounds like um that perhaps you know he is he he doesn't like the loud noise again if we go back to where we are with the whole idea with the pandemic and, and the normal loud boisterous on top of each other play that would have happened that that wasn't happening and I don't know what sort of age gap there is perhaps between him and his sister and how they might have interacted because sometimes if you've got younger siblings and they're all clambering on top of each other they can tolerate different levels of noise but maybe maybe there is something in that and maybe it is a case of perhaps seek, seeking out some assistance to see if her young lad does need a little bit of additional support um, or whether or not it's just a t- case of um, 
seeing if things settle down in, in whatever way we can. I suppose we are, we do have a little bit more freedom now. We do have a little bit more ability on smaller scales to try and involve our children in different things. I don't know whether there's an activity that's perhaps a, there's a friend there um, that she might be able to involve him in. She mentioned him enjoying scoring goals and things. There Maybe there's some other activities that some of the boys or girls in his class that he might relate to a little bit better that she could involve him in and maybe doing a play date on a smaller scale or taking a, a friend or two to the park might help even to the playground collecting somebody from school and taking them to the playground that might help build confidence and give them those opportunity to have a couple of social interactions I always say three is a disastrous number actually so I would go two or four but not not um not three because I think sometimes there's a pairing off and somebody gets left out and that could just exasperate her worries but I think I think that could be the way to go but it does look like a conversation perhaps needs to be had for, even for her own reassurance and for the little boy as well to get to find out I think to find find out if any of those worries are actually founded. I know she said the GP is at a bit of a loss and that's perhaps a bit difficult, but maybe it's time to have a conversation with the school or contact the HSE and the local clinic and see if there is perhaps an occupational therapist there, paediatric occupational therapist there that she can have a word with because I mean, they, they will be used to dealing with situations like this all the time. Perhaps they'll be able to give a little bit of guidance with a little bit of observation. I know they say waiting lists are long but it might be possible to have an initial conversation or even seek out a little bit of guidance from the public I actually at six are you out of the public health nurse system at that stage I'm not sure at six it's if you are under fives but under uh, five so you're out there but perhaps maybe that's maybe it's a case of getting of talking to all the people who are working with the child and trying to get a picture of where he is because sometimes children can be very different in different scenarios you know you can have what is it they say um and it's totally different here, but you know, you'll have heard heard children described as street was a street angel, house devil, or something. They just behave totally differently, or or they are different in different settings. And of course, you do have to allow for different personalities too. The the reading, even the over pronunciation of the sounds. I have a child at a similar age, and there is that real emphasis on that. So that he's taken it to speech again. I understand what she's saying about the over pronounced, and I do understand, um, perhaps that this is um, um, maybe making her worry a little bit more again is this is this another another red flag for her I do understand that she it's difficult to tell which it is but maybe that's why where it's time to perhaps engage all the experts and try and get a bigger uh, a clearer picture on what's going on yeah no I agree with everything you're saying I mean there's a few things in this email that are just they're just so relevant I mean the first thing is the waiting list that nobody can get access to help at the moment and I know myself, I've referred people on to someone else, to someone else, and people are coming back to me saying, Coleman, stop sending me people. I have no space. You know, this is ridiculously unprecedented times. And uh, and so when she applied to look for the play therapy and, and getting that response is unfortunately, that is a reality. That's not to discourage anyone from looking, by all means do. Um, but unfortunately, our, our services are massively overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed before COVID, but now it's just, it's another level. Um, so I can appreciate that. Absolutely, her red flags here are, <clears throat> I think she's maybe considering uh, whether this child is on the, the spectrum from the point mm-hmm. of view of the stimming, yeah. the social. If we think about that as a, as a presentation, I mean, again, we all develop at different levels. We have physical, psychological, social, and emotional development, and we all kind of go along that trajectory. 
in these cases, the social and emotional development is just lagging in this way. And so social interactions and things like that become much, much more difficult. Um, the It's impossible to judge that over the last 18 months because the social and emotional development has been stalled for everybody in many ways. So in, in every case, the, the, the dilemma of all of these presentations is, is this pandemic related uh -huh. or would this have happened anyway? Um, and without... Uh, Marty McFly's machine. We we can't under, you know, we, we can't do that. We have to just take a guess. I would oftentimes just encourage parents to, and I know this is probably controversial advice, but give it time. We yeah. expect after two weeks of back in school that everything should be normal. Children are taking a lot longer than that to recalibrate. You know, the, and we we've often so spoken, Jen, about you know that the kids are resilient. Line is mm -hmm. is true, but it oftentimes kind of give, gives us an opt out to do anything about it. Um, yeah. Children are taking time to readjust, especially those age groups that that fought like such a fundamental uh, delay in the social integration into the world. You know, loud noises in the cinema. But sure, if I haven't been in a cinema in two and a half yeah. years, you know that's going to be the case. Um, even things like lawnmowers and things. I can remember my eldest lad being terrified of hand dryers in the the, the, the bathrooms and things like that. And again, the more exposed to that he was. The less problematic it, it became, yeah. you know. Um, the one thing I would concentrate is on the, the the phobia of the fruit issue. It's a new one on me, I have to say. Yeah. The fruit one is a new one, but children are developing these kind of over-controlled behaviors. So a bit like when you described your lad with the, the sanitizing the hands, and, and what we do is we try and over-control our own environment because we feel that the wider environment is overwhelming. You know, so when we heard about in March 20 that there was a pandemic we all ran out and bought bales of toilet roll, right? Yeah. And the issue was that if we had the downstairs toilet under, uh, packed with toilet roll, it made us feel better because we were controlling some element of it. Then a week later, we found out it was a respiratory condition and there was no need for the toilet paper. But yeah. it's that over-control gives us the sense of we, we're managing what we can. Uh, and so when children get into kind of segregating their environment and they're making sure people aren't peeling fruit in front of me, aren't saying fruit in front of me, aren't... There's a message in that that they're keeping me in mind, you know, and they're they're aware that I'm struggling with something. I don't know what it is, so it'll just attach itself to something, possibly even arbitrary or random from the point of view of the. But the amount of obsessional phobias that I'm hearing about in the last year and a half is again phenomenally more than we ever would before, and it is just our response to, you know, if we're anxious about something, we will you know, we will tidy or we'll make a list or we'll uh, hoover or we'll bake or we'll just give us something that we seem to. And we see this in cases where children get involved in eating disorders. You know, I can't control my life, but I can control what I eat and what I exercise. Yeah. They'll overinvest in that control. It just gives them a short term sense of I'm on top of something and people know that I'm that all is not OK. But it's the it's a signpost to the problem as opposed to being the problem itself. This boy clearly is at a really important developmental trajectory time. He's clearly been affected by the, the ways in which that is. Whether that's something that would have happened before or whether that's something that will just improve with time, we would have to wait and see. And while I would say to you, you're absolutely right in terms of the OT and the sensory stuff and speech and language and ruling anything out is a peace of mind issue as well, uh, as much as ruling something in. I would say, you know, possibly the waiting list for those things are long as well. But from the point of view of 
it is this is possibly something that will improve in life you know with him getting back into school environment that is safe and supportive and getting a few pals and scoring a few goals and adding in some normal life experiences that create a kind of a corrective emotional experience that actually he re-establishes his kind of faith in the world and things are okay and it's all a bit safe and we just have to remind children that things are safe and things are okay and 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 oftentimes at the moment, that could be very hard to do, but by all means, <clears throat> pursue all of those things. But in the meantime, allow him to live a little bit and try and encourage him to engage in life as much as he can. And that maybe will be enough. And it, it'd be lovely if you get the appointment in two years time and you go, actually, I don't need that anymore. He's okay. fine now. But it is a case of when it comes to support, always try and look at it rather than look for it. You know, I prefer a child to be over supported than under supported in anything that they do. Does that make sense? So yeah, so that, that would be my answer to that one. Um, the next question, Jen, and good luck with that to that parent. My daughter is really struggling with separation anxiety. She's gripping anything she can and she can't be shifted and pulled towards the school door. We had this in Montessori, it was horrible, but now she's in first class. The day is moving from 2 p.m. finish to a 3 p.m. finish. She's become obsessed with this hour, the longer day. She's finding the new room, the teacher, the SNA, all a struggle. She's so desperately sad and, and, and that she's in there till three o'clock. Every morning we had this meltdown, touching windows, ledges, door frames. There's absolutely no reason with her. Uh, she's just so upset and it takes over 40 minutes to get her settling. Once she's in, she's fine. Um, but how do we manage this separation anxiety that has happened just this year? God, that is hard, isn't it? You know, there's been so much change for kids. It's not really any surprise. I, I think it's a pity we couldn't have perhaps held on to the same teachers as last year just to have a little bit of consistency for kids going forward, particularly after, you know, the substantial period of school closures again. And a child going into first class has not yet had a single full year of school. So, you know, it is no wor- it is no wonder that perhaps she is so worried about school and she is worried about that kind of separation anxiety. And we've had the kids have had huge amounts of time with their parents, a huge amounts of time at home and huge amount of time where the only access that they had to people was their, their close family. Um, because obviously we were told, you know, not to not to visit each other and and things like that. It's really, really difficult to see your child that upset going in every day. I mean, I would have gone through a period of it with some of my others, but it wasn't pandemic related. Definitely. It was just perhaps a, an adjustment to school um, or an adjustment to Montessori. More so it happened to school. They weren't they didn't find the adjustment quite as hard. But while I think sometimes there's this great belief and we we'll just take them and it'll be fine. And I do think there I mean, I do believe that that is the case that generally when children go in, they do calm down a little bit. But I, I think there is nothing like the constant reassurance, even if it feels draining, but the constant reassurance from parents that it is actually going to be OK and that it is fine. And it is only uh, that the extra hour is a hard one. It is a hard one. I do remember my own kids fa- focusing on I'm going to be in school an extra hour um, and they were horrified at the thoughts and there wasn't separation anxiety there, but they didn't like the idea of those thoughts. Again, I suppose it's about having those conversations with the teacher and perhaps um flagging flagging your concerns and seeing if there are any ways in which the teacher can support you if that extra hour sometimes that's story time sometimes it's PE time sometimes it's fun it's fun time actually that later time when the younger years have gone gone home maybe it's time for art maybe there are positive things happen in that extra hour that um, the parent can focus on and um, if she knew what what was going on in that that hour that was a bit longer it might 
might change, flip, flip the script a little bit and change the folks. Well, actually, it's great to be in for that extra hour because that's when we have our story or that's when we do our art or that's when we have fun doing PE. If, if that is the case, of course, that all is very much dependent um, on the case. Uh, God, I don't really, I mean, I'm not really sure, Coleman, beyond that, besides again giving it time a bit like the previous time it's a bit like a lot of the junior infants that I know is a first class child we're talking here but it's a bit like the fur the junior infants you will see some kids go in and there won't be a bother on them for day one and you'll see some children still distressed going in in October and that is really really hard for those parents I've seen parents walk away from the school gates in tears at the idea that their their little fella is upset um, or their little one is upset going in but it does tend to correct itself. It does seem to correct itself. Now, in saying that, I have heard parents have been in touch to say children who were going in fine last year are having difficulties again going in this year. Perhaps it's all the uncertainty. Perhaps it's the break again in routine um, over the summer. Will we be going back? It, what, what's certain anymore? School was our one certain that we always had. Montessori was our one certain. And it's kind of, even as parents, it's like the leave and cert dream, the idea that the schools might close again. So never mind. For us, it's, it's that difficult for us can understand what it's like for children but I think it's probably something with that it's it's going to be a case of constant reassurance conversations with the school um I don't know is there, is there perhaps a parent there that maybe the a parent of a friend who maybe uh, I mean at that age it's a little bit harder because they're so young but I know if there's I, I love I'll have said to my own children if I know somebody's having a difficult time will you keep an eye out for Johnny will you keep an eye out for Mary or when you see them coming in if they're upset and again it's all the it, it's slightly more difficult because if they're not in the same pods they can't do this if they're not in the same groups it, it everything is exasperated by the continuing restrictions and the yes they might may keep us COVID safe but or they may keep children COVID safe or they may work go some way towards keeping children safe from COVID but they're bringing their own difficulties and their own problems too which is um very hard for us to and children for, to work around yeah no I think that this is again one of these really common ones that are happening so much the, the separation anxiety and especially I have a little lad in this age group Mm. And I did the maths there for another colleague I was writing, and he's been in school 29 weeks out of 75 or something. Gosh. So from the point of view of his junior infants and senior infants experience, both were significantly disrupted. So he's mm. going into first class really without that. Now, he has the extra hour too. And I know from my other two, they find that exhausting at the start, you know, that extra hour. You'd be surprised how, how they wilt in that time yeah. or the difference it might make. Um, the issue, again, about, and I would have, pre-COVID suggested they find a pal and all that sort of stuff. Children in primary schools are standing on dots, which are two meter apart yeah. and they're queuing going in. So you can't even go off your dot, you know, from the point of view of somebody yeah. coming into your space to try and help you. Um, another thing that child said to me is, I'm really worried that mom can't come into the school if I need her to, right? Yeah. So the idea that, again, the kind of, we, we talk to the teacher over the gate from eight meters away and, you know, mask and all that sort of stuff. It just may, even though there's nothing clear and present in terms of a threat, the idea that mom couldn't come in uh -huh. if I needed to, you know, and yeah. you know, I've gone to collect my small lads as well from school. And, you know, you, you drive at the gate and, and they get sent out from the door, you know, there's, it, it, and understandably so, but it just, it is, has impacts on the child's sense of safety, I think yeah. in that sense. And um, as a practical solution, uh, and, you know, so maybe people might not agree with this, but 
I think the hour and the difficulty around that, I would always say to somebody, judge how your child is coming out of an activity, not how they go in. You know, mm-hmm. we all find the the hardest part of getting to the gym is getting from the couch, the couch to the car. Yeah. You know, the, once you're there, you're fine. And so in school, in that way, if he's coming out fine, then there may be no issue. It's just that separation piece. If you do, if you have the, the ability to do it, say to him, if you stay until quarter past two for two days, and then we go to half two for two days, and then we go to quarter to three, and then we go to three o'clock. It means that it's not a full hour. You're just yeah. stretching it little by bit by bit. And again, I'd much prefer that creative timetabling and save yourself 45 minutes of pulling someone off skirting boards in the morning and take uh-huh. it off in the afternoon. Um, and it just, it, it might mean that you're kind of saying to him, I understand that, that this is hard and we're making adjustments to try and help you with it rather uh-huh. than, you have to go in anyway. And I know you're upset, but you have to do it. And it maybe is about meeting the child a little bit and saying, I hear you. And I think that's far more important than perhaps the 45 minutes of art that he might be missing from yeah, two to true. three. You know, So uh, yeah. we have to think, think bigger picture, but really difficult situation. Again, I would say time will be a good one on this one. Um, and, you know, again, any of the supports, if he can get a pal to just say a bit of encouragement to him at that age, they do listen better to their peers than they would to us as the adults in the room, because understandably we don't understand. Uh, but best of luck with that, and I hope that goes okay. The next question, Jen, is uh, my son is struggling back in school. His friends are in a different class to him, and they're not allowed to mix with anyone outside their pod. It's very lonely, and he says school is horrible. He's never struggled in school before the pandemic. What can I do to help him? And again, this is something you mentioned a couple of times already, about this, the difficulty around you know, mixing in your social groups. Um, and... Uh, you know, again, in a conversation recently about, you know, picking the right school, you know, there's kind of, we go with your friends, but then when they get to first year, they're split up from their friends in different classes. And, you know, the big decision that you've made on the basis of that is now null and void and all that sort of stuff. I don't really have a, a, an answer for this one. Again, I, I suppose from a parenting point of view, uh, how would you support this young lad who, who's kind of never really struggled in school, but just finds that it's no fun because his pals aren't, He's not able to mix with his pals in the break times or the, or the, the down times. Well, you know, this has actually happened to a degree um, with one of my children. So much to my horror, if anyone from my school is listening, they'll know my viewpoints on this anyway, so it won't be a shock. But much to my horror, um, they mixed the classes up. You know, they do that sometimes as they're going up through primary school in preparation for secondary school. Now, I am of a different viewpoint to that. I think there's enough change coming in secondary school. I'm not a great believer in pulling the rug from under kids numerous times. I think you're at a different age when you're going to secondary school. It's a big enough transition. I wouldn't be in favour of mixing them all up again when they're in fifth class or fourth class or fifth class and then they have to get mixed up all again when they go to secondary school and that suits some children of which I have some who are extremely sociable and personable and have no bother whatsoever and it's a lot more difficult for those who are shy or more reserved or maybe perhaps don't mix as well it is it is a totally different challenge and an even bigger challenge in COVID times when they haven't got access to the friends who are in different classes anymore so that has happened We have a child who was very, very content in class and they have mixed his class up. He is still okay in school. He likes school. So, you know, he's okay. He's got a couple of pals in the class there. But that that whole unfamiliarity after two years of huge disruption to then have a totally different class again I'm not sure it was needed um, and you know I don't know that there was there's any huge benefits in it for him he will have to mix again when he goes to to secondary school but he is missing 
some of the friends that he doesn't have access to anymore because there's no playing in yards, there's no mixing of classrooms. What I have done is very deliberately involved him in activities that the friends are still in. It's not the same for school. And you know what, school, uh, school without friends, as, as one of my kids pointed out, was a bit like doing the homeschooling. It was like all the bad stuff without any of the good stuff, you know, like you were doing the, the part, the drudgery, but you didn't have the, you didn't have the friends there for the support and the laughs and the, the tribe you didn't have that so that is difficult it's not it's not a full solution because the child you know my young lad I know and the same for these other kids who are also a bit sad that their friends are in different classes it's not a complete solution because it still perhaps leaves that situation as it is in school but what I suppose it does is it offers him that opportunity it's in karate where we have the overlap to to spend time with the friend still to know that he can still the friend doesn't live within walking distance of his around and so socializing out school would have to be scheduled and planned um so he, he can do his after school activities with this young lad um and that that at least is some kind of a consolation and as and we still myself and his mother would still make an effort um to play to get the kids together sometimes with the other children who perhaps live within walking distance who are friends of his I would encourage them to play outside that there's still activity that they can call for each other but they still get to interact with each other to kind of that reassurance that the friendships aren't lost and then I suppose I'm taking advantage of the fact that in my child's case, he has older siblings and I'll point to the fact that, well, look, others went through this and I know it's hard for you, love, but look, it came good. They made certain, any particular friendships that were formed from new friends, from new friendship situations. I'll point to them, but I have no qualms about getting teachers involved in this. I do think the teacher is in the classroom. We have never been further removed from what's going on in school. We're not allowed inside the school gates. You're not allowed. I haven't been inside the school building in a couple of years at all. For anything you know I haven't even I never haven't never even saw my junior infants classroom I've, there's there's been no no going inside indoors at all so this is where we do need to call the teachers I suppose for support and and I know again you can feel how can I have that conversation with the teacher when I can't meet them at the school gate and I can't whatever but most of the schools at this stage have the the virtual interaction whether it's the emails or whether it's the Aladdin app or see so whichever way you're communicating with your school th- those options are still there and I would point out that this is a particular struggle and maybe even ask the teacher to give a call as soon as they have an opportunity to do so and flag this because there is a possibility like I I, I don't this is going to sound like the wrong word but manipulation of the situation there is a possibility to see this little boy or this little girl will probably mix well the, the teacher gets a measure of the different personalities hopefully um fairly quickly and at least they can have an idea of tra- of creating a situation where that the children might get to if as pods are being created and perhaps they'll be revisited as we come to um the midterm I don't know if they may move them around a little bit when they're coming back after the midterm and put the grouping separately that perhaps there'll be a situation or an opportunity to group children together where friendships might form more naturally where perhaps you're putting children of similar natures together somebody who's a little bit shy or who finds a little bit more difficult with somebody else who's like that or someone else who's personable and is open to all personalities and will bring in bring in, in include um a child who's feeling uh, on the periphery a little bit but I think again we've never needed perhaps to have those good relationships between parents and teachers more and that kind of level of interaction more because 
we're so far removed from it all. And I think even one friendship, just one friend or feeling that there's somebody in the class that they have a pal with can can change the experience completely. I think your point about, um, you know, enabling him to spend time with the pals, whether it be through facilitating them coming over or playing outside is, uh-huh. you know, I, I think that, that that would be the piece of advice that I would give. Um, but, you know, the issue around, you know, activities and, and I know you've spoken so eloquently about you know finding your tribe and again the indoor activities being difficult for people you know in terms of trying to find a a, a non-school communicative space you know has been so important for young people and those who maybe are into sport is probably a little bit easier because they came back first um but I, i do think there's something in the the extracurricular activity being prioritized but also in schools and i think in terms of you know many of us kind of hear about the curriculum being you know where they have to catch up and we have to make oh, up for yeah. last time and all that sort of stuff Um, I do think that uh, an emphasis on that without an emphasis on them coming together and getting an opportunity to actually be together is also one of the the biggest losses I felt over the the homeschooling period was not so much the academic bit that was lost through it but the social and emotional connections yeah. you know and uh, and I really think and, and uh, you know you and I share our view on our aberration of homework from the point of view of you know an unnecessary task maybe at the moment but that that facilitating and enabling coming together uh, and again I know pods and things make that difficult uh, I just I've never thought that's probably more important than it is now but taking on that point about extracurricular activities I have a really interesting next question Jen and I'd really interested to hear your your view on this uh, this uh, listener says my son has taken up GAA this summer he's 12 so he's late to the game, but he's naturally sporty and is managing well. However, at the training sessions, I've heard the coaches using phrase like take him out of it, plow through him, never take a step back. And lamb- being other kids being lambasted by coaches if they deem to pull out of a tackle. I've heard recent conversations on news talk about brawls occurring in GA matches. And I can see from this age group where the hard man character is really being celebrated. My son enjoys the game and being with his peers, but... I'm new to this and I think this toguish culture is upsetting me as uh, I'm new to the club. I, I can't, I can't feel that I can say anything. And the other parents at the training and matches pay no heed and seem unfazed by it. Maybe this is a GA culture issue. Maybe it's to do with me, but it's not the manner in which I want my son to mimic a role model, but I also don't want him to have to give up something that he enjoys. Any advice? It's funny because I've after hearing yesterday, I only heard them talking about this on the radio as well and the kind of the problem with the sideline and perhaps the problem within coaching. I'll put my hands up. I do have a child who plays GAA and his coach most certainly does not behave like that. He's very inclusive and very supportive and, you know, expects the lads to do to do their best and to try their hardest. But there is absolutely none of that kind of talk. That's within their group um, playing. I have been on the sideline and I have heard all sorts coming at kids and I am horrified. I'm not silent about this though. Like I, I am, I, perhaps it's because of, I'm coming down the numbers of kids and there's that many. I'm going, well, hang on a second. This is actually damaging. I'm a great believer in if you can't, like the sport isn't for everybody and it's not. And it, like it's great that this child actually, even though that he came to sport late or came to the sport late is actually settling in well, because for a lot of people coming in at 12, it will be that bit more challenging. But I mean, I don't think it's okay that we accept that this is a GAA culture. I don't think we accept that it's okay that it's any culture. And I think 
think she's absolutely right. Is I'm not sure if it's a woman who wrote. Sorry, I'm presuming it was a mum who wrote. It was, it was I, a dad, yeah. It was a dad. Okay, I think he's absolutely right. There is, um, and it has been said to me by a parent on the sideline when I pointed out a thuggish incident that happened on the pitch supported not supported by the parents but where parents got involved and then all of a sudden the ref is getting a hard time and the pair and there's you know it, it's quite incredible to, to see this happen and I was horrified on the pitch and I do remember a father said to me um yeah that is the GAA culture and I'm sure it's not I'm sure that's not acceptable I'm sure the GAA would reject that completely that idea that it is but it was very much accepted oh that's it and particularly I think when you've got boys playing for some reason it's gone oh yeah they're the tough men they're hard men that's what you need to be to be a successful sp- uh, sportsman and I think it's really confusing passion with aggression I think that's that's the two that are are being mixed up like it, it, it this aggression is perhaps justified but because because they're passionate about playing and even the even the language coming from the coach I personally would feel and I know it's not easy when you're the newbie I think it's not easy when you're the newbie coming into something particularly if other parents sit back but a lot of parents are quite happy to ride on the coattails of others you know there's often people will say well how come um, I'm the only one who feels like this or how come other people haven't addressed it and and maybe it's a lack of confidence thing and there's always that fear of not wanting to be seen to be the troublemaker and particularly when you're new nobody wants to do that but I I am horrified and continue to be horrified when I hear that kind of of talk talk and the thuggish behavior because maybe it's poorly phrased perhaps I give him the benefit of the doubt or maybe it's poorly phrased and it's he means commit to your commit to the challenge but you know in a fair way perhaps that's the way the way he means to to phrase it but I wouldn't be happy with that and I would feel a need to address it um not it's not easily done and it has to obviously be done in a non-confrontational manner with very carefully chosen words too because obviously these coaches are giving up their time and without the coaches we would not have our kids in sport and I think it's probably a pretty thankless job being a coach a lot of the time because uh, you see it in the whatsapp groups you see oh well, why are we moving to it so and so can't make this time and this doesn't suit and why is he left out and why is that happening but at the same time we want sport to be inclusive we want sport to be something that our children will participate in if they're involved interested or involved in it at all that they'll stay in it that they won't drop out of it perhaps because of fear of that and I certainly don't think anybody particularly 12 years old you're, at, you're on the cusp of the teenage years when the hormones when there's different expectations of of boys in particular and I wouldn't want that being fostered as how a boy or young man or teen should behave on the pitch and certainly not take it off the pitch either. Again, I I have children playing GAA and I have to say their coaches are really amazing in terms of their support and encouragement that they're going. And uh, I know for the, their end of season um, is finishing up on the weekend and the coaches have organized, they're all going to McDonald's afterwards. And it's a really lovely uh, kind of experience of that. But like that, when you're at, games you can hear these things said I think for this parent it's really difficult and I think your point about the coaches being volunteers and I see the work and the effort that goes into mm-hmm. organizing all these things and washing jerseys and having training yeah. and making sure there's enough numbers and all that sort of stuff because people are giving it of their time you feel I can't really criticize this guy because if he turns around to me and says well here you go here's the whistle yeah. you take over I wouldn't be willing to do that either you know yeah. but there is something about uh, the culture of a sport and I, there's no sport that hasn't got problems within its culture the mm-hmm. soccer culture is very competitive it's the yeah. premier league thing uh, i loathe any sport that encourages a player to dive and try and mimic get someone mm-hmm. sent off the rugby culture is not perfect either and the concussion risks and everything that goes with that and there can be 
issues with that as well. GAA, all of the, every culture has swimming has a culture of competitiveness, individual sport. But again, as a, as a play, person playing the sport, uh, you really have to work on your own child's ability to become either kind of critical of that or, or you know, uh, it doesn't mean that your child is going to become that, if that makes any sense. Just mean yeah. that, like I've played sports all my life and I've seen various parts of, of sporting culture that I go, that happens, but I, it, it's not for me. I wouldn't be involved in that, you know, yeah. and I'd be fairly competitive and very passionate about when I would be playing sport, but there's parts of it that you go, ah, actually, you know, I know that happens, but, and I would really, rather than pulling your son out of the activity, uh, it's trying to create a value system that he has for himself, you know, and that he, although other people may borrow a different value system um, and it would be lovely if we could eradicate these kind of culture things from sport. But I do think that happens from the top down. I mean, yeah. you look at a GA match and somebody comes on as a sub and the first thing they do is hit the fellow three or four shoulders before, you know, to introduce that he's there. So there is that hard man thing. You know, the way in which soccer players shout and spit in the faces of referees and roar in their faces with absolutely no respect. That's bad role modeling as well. You know, I think it's very hard to grassroots it up if the role models at the top aren't kind of role modeling it on the way down, if that makes any sense. So the the culture is is a hard one to shift and change. But in the meantime, I'd be working on your son's own value system around how he sees sports and where he sees the line being and not to have that line moved by uh, a scrupulous coach who thinks that, you know, cheating is okay because, you know, in many ways that's what it is. You know, you're bending the rules or breaking the rules or or teaching you to get away with something. Um, uh, I I would, I'd kind of value the honor of sport in that way and try and encourage your, your son to, to borrow from that culture too. Um, but uh, we do have lots of work in the children's sport arena uh, in Ireland. And I think uh, there's so much good stuff going on there. And there's, there's other things that really need to be ironed out. But thank you for that. And, and the last question we have uh, here is an interesting one, Jen. This is a, from a mum who's saying that my daughter's teacher is incredibly anxious about COVID. The children in the class all say that it's weird because she stays behind a screen, has her head out the window for most of the class, and the children are unsettled as a group. Uh, and she's a bit hysterical if a child goes near her. My daughter's in third class and becoming more and more reluctant to go to school because she makes it makes her feel anxious, not because of the risk of catching COVID. Rather, she says her teacher makes her feel anxious. I'm not sure what the teacher's circumstances are, whether she has an underlying condition herself or someone at home who's vulnerable. We're not permitted to ask if she's her vaccine status, uh, but I'm at a loss. It's almost impossible to get to speak to this teacher. She never accompanies the children out at the end or beginning of the day. What can I do? Other parents are concerned too, but all of us are nervous to approach the subject because technically this teacher is doing nothing wrong. Any guidance appreciated. Wow, that's a hard one. But you know, anecdotally, that's not the first time I've heard that. I've really? Heard yeah. yeah, it is. It's something that was... Um, Oh God, what was it? One parent got in touch with me to say that the, a teacher had told her children what was repeating statistics about infection rates of children and vaccine failures and things like this at, at the kids and they were coming home. And there was, this was in secondary school where the children were vaccinated and they were coming home and going, we still, we're still not protected and talking about um, the number of people in hospital that were vaccinated versus um, unvaccinated. So conversations that perhaps had no place in the classroom, but were, were happening. Um, I would imagine it was probably a, a 
less common scenario um, to kind of what, what's generally happening. But there obviously the fact that this la- this uh, parent has written in and, and parents have contacted me, it is happening where people's levels of anxiety are very different. There are some people who have very much got their head around the idea of living with COVID. And, and as that parent correctly pointed out, we don't know what anybody's circumstances are and whether there is somebody vulnerable at home. Again, if it's a conversation the parent feels that they need to have, I would suggest going through, if they're not coming out to the school gates, finding out what the school's method of communication is, whether that's email, phone call uh, it's not going to be an easy conversation to have because you know you're not allowed to ask certain questions and obviously you have to respect that you don't know somebody's situation and you you know pointing out to somebody that I think you're too anxious about COVID that's never going to be well received by anyone someone else might argue I think you're too blasé about it so you know we all have we're all a different we all have different perspectives on this but in terms of going into the conversation maybe with an open mind I think there are other means to get in, con- in contact it does sound like this parent wants to speak to the teacher so I would just go down the other avenues of seeing if email or phone call are um, optional and then perhaps being guided by the conversation that you have with the teacher because of course you are hearing a child's interpretation of the situation too so sometimes it is here as well to have that conversation yourself and see I actually I don't know how do you tell somebody please be less anxious about Mm. something it's not really something that you can say this is a grown adult who isn't doing anything wrong as they pointed out but I, I do understand then you're concerned about uh, how why somebody would be concerned about the impacts on the children in the classroom and how they're feeling about school as a result but I think look we could surmise and guess all the time I think that conversation is probably one that needs to be had particularly because the parent seems to want to have that conversation. Yeah and I think it, this question has kind of raised a question for me and I'll, I'll admit to listeners I don't know the answer to this and my the absolute the wrong thing to say but i wondered is the is there a role for the principal in this you know if you don't if you feel like you don't want to approach the person themselves um mm-hmm. and and you know is this um an issue that that needs to be dealt with within the school as opposed to the parent taking on that role do you know what i mean are, are, uh, but then i don't know whether that's you know going above someone's head which is unfair and i know they they all say you need to go to the person first but i just can appreciate this parent's uh, awkwardness and uncomfortableness yeah. about the topic because you don't know what people's levels of, of mental distress or anxiety or, or what their circumstances are and you don't want to bulldoze in there uh, but also you're concerned about the welfare of your child as well yeah. and so there's there's two competing things at play um I, I, all i can say to that person is 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 you know i think see how it goes again I, I, you know and again if your daughter is coming saying she's too anxious maybe she's the point at which you create the, the the inquiry and say, my daughter is struggling to go in. She said she it makes her feel anxious and ask the teacher, might she have any idea that that's the case and uh, that you're, that she's seeing your daughter act that way and maybe ask her if she might have any ideas around why that might be happening and maybe explore it that way with her um, and then escalate as you go. But again, just as such a, it's a contentious issue. I think this is, you know, and like, it's really funny because, you know, when you go back into the, 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 the new abnormal, the new normal, whatever it might be, you can see the different people who have, you know, it's funny to watch the kind of huggers and the sanitizers come into the same room, you know, there's like, hello, and people want to hug in and their exuberance have kind of forgotten. And you can see someone freezing under that. Yeah. And yeah. because they're there. And we all have different, personal spaces at the moment and we have different levels of comfort and we have different levels of you know and it's almost that kind of you know now where you have this kind of do I 
elbow bump? Do I fist bump? Do I wave? Do I nod? Do I step? But, you know, and almost like when I think I always said this, you know, when there was a 2K limit, don't leave your house under no circumstances. It was a bit clearer, whereas it's the whatever you're having yourself yeah. is much di- more difficult, isn't it? In terms it of because you're having to judge where the other person is at as much as where you're at with something. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, well, I'm two meters here, but technically I could take off my mask and we're outside. But mm-hmm. if I go to take if I go to take one ear off and I see the alarm in the other person's eyes, I might put it back on. And you know, you're, um, you're trying to judge how other people feel about things. And I'm a bit a very like self. I am. I'm laughing at you saying the hugger and versus the sanitizer. And as if I'm a hugger, so I'm there. I'm seeing people and God love them. I'm sure they're going to take two steps back. Jen is out and she's looking for. She's looking to make up on the hug. I and mean, that does not mean I'm going to end hugging rad, random strangers. I don't mean as much as I'd like to. I don't mean I'm doing that. But there is that whole thing. I saw a friend yesterday for the first time in all pandemic and I hadn't seen him. And I was so pleased to see him. I gave him this big, enormous bear hug without even thinking for a second. Is he going to be okay with that? He was okay. Judging by the hug I got back, he was fine with it. But I actually forgot myself for a minute because I was thinking, I can see him again. I haven't seen my friends. And like, there's some of my friends I haven't seen so long. He was one of them and I hadn't seen him in so long. And I was just so happy to see him that I forgot and I defaulted to pre-pandemic Jen. And, you know, he thankfully was perfectly fine and perfectly comfortable with it too. But there is that whole thing where we do have to try. It's a very difficult situation as you're trying to gauge with other people's levels of comfort. And it's happening with kids too, because even if you're comfortable for your children to mix, other parents aren't necessarily or they're okay for them to mix but they want them outdoors and they don't want them to come into your house and they don't want you that maybe to be in your car and you're trying to gauge everything what what's acceptable what and some people want their children to perhaps wear a mask in a car others are more comfortable if because they're in the same classroom and so it's not an issue and it is it's the whole thing that we're all we're trying to get we're trying to judge for other people and guess what makes other people comfortable as well as ourselves and our own children too so it is a whole different dilemma now it's a I suppose nothing we've ever had to deal with before and I'm reminded of one of the things you wrote in your column I think it might have been your mum wasn't it about the bouncy castle and she said are we allowed to do that you know or is that permitted and the amount of times that I've asked myself those questions, like I have to double check, uh, am I allowed to do this? Is this yeah. within, you know, and, and I just think, and I think this is probably a lovely note to kind of end the podcast. And it's just about being patient with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we just have to be a little tolerant of those who are more anxious than us or those who are less anxious than us. And we're trying to fight. Now, I myself would get annoyed with the guys going into the, the center, holding their, collar up above their nose and not wearing masks and things yeah. like that and you kind of get a bit nervous and anxious about that sort of stuff um but I think there's such a call for us to just be sound with each other yeah. you know to, to okay. just actually accept that people might be in a different place to us and you know we're kind of living a culture where where we feel the need to impose our own view on the other um and in actual fact um it's okay to hold different views and actually mm-hmm. in fact that's what makes this a colorful experience um and it doesn't always have to mean conflict. It doesn't yeah. always have to mean that we have to voice our disagreement. Um, and maybe that's that's something of a, of a message from it. You know, it is because all the stuff that we've talked about today is about adjustment. It's about kids finding new struggles with new circumstances. And as adults, I think we're struggling with adjustment, too. And I think we just have to be patient 
uh, we have to kind of give it time, allow each of and every one of us to, to recalibrate. Um, and emotionally and, and socially, we don't just flick a switch. We, we, we grow into something. And, 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 and I think, yeah, I think let's just give each other a bit of slack at the moment. Um, we're not going to get it right all the time and give ourselves a bit of time as well. But um, any thoughts on, on surviving the next phase of the pandemic for anyone out there? Any nuggets of wisdom or gems that... Jen's gems. Gems, gems, gems. I like it. <laughs> I think, I suppose, October the 22nd is the date that we're all waiting on, aren't we? And what's going to happen then? And um, I think it's going to be a difficult one um, because that's really when nearly, if all goes to plan, that's when pretty much all restrictions go. I think it's just about being kind to yourself as well as each other too, isn't it? And giving yourself the space, you know, sometimes we can be very self-critical and go, well, why do you feel like this? Like get a grip woman or get a grip man, you know, it's it's fine. But perhaps just, it has, we've lived through the strangest couple of years almost. Like I, I would never want to live through them again. It has been, oh, yes, we've come out the other side and thankfully, you know, we're we're here and we're moving forward and it's it, it's a much better place to be than this time last year and we had it all ahead of us, perhaps not even realising how much of it we had ahead of us. Um, but it's about maybe just cutting ourselves a little bit of slack and cutting the kids a little bit of slack and maybe just not getting involved in really divisive or inflammatory discussions, which I think will start to happen again, particularly as we get towards October 22nd. There's a lot of people wondering what will happen. I know even if we take it back to children and a school sort of thing, one of the questions I've been asked several times, I don't know what the answer is, is the idea of masks for secondary school. Will they be gone on March or sorry, on October 22nd? People have different ideas about whether they should be or shouldn't be and um, there's all sorts of discussions about who should be doing what we're, we're going we're moving to a phase where in private workplaces and from October 22nd again this is all going according to plan because that's always that caveat that's attached to everything that there won't be a requirement for people to wear masks inside we'll have situations where we have people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated together follow you know um, as the rules change and we've had that kind of whether it's a comfort blanket or not or whether we found it restrictive or not there were clear rules at one stage now everything is changing like you said and it is a case of maybe just giving ourselves time like as we talk about the kids and we don't know how much of what they're experiencing is related to the lack of exposure and lack of experiences they've had we've all had very different experiences and lack of experiences over the last couple of years so giving ourselves time to adjust to it all and get back to it all and others to try not fall out with family and friends in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because i'm thinking here to say and i don't want to say come across like it's over because i know uh, that would upset people and i'm not saying it is but I just think to take stock at this point and say, and I've repeated this many times, you know, maybe we didn't fail every anything. Maybe we survived everything, you know, from yeah. the point of view of that. And it is, it has been a really weird, you know, pandemic time. And like you, I wouldn't want to be doing it again. But on behalf of the, the, the listeners to the podcast, Jen, I just want to say, to, before I say cheerio to you, I want to say, uh, keep those columns coming. I know for, uh, for me and for lots of other people reading those, kind of over the, the last 18 months has really felt, you know, um, and there's something about, and I, and I know, you know, there's something about if, if, if you would, no matter how hard, I know you people say this to you all the time, but no matter how stressed you feel with three, you could just think, <laughs> what's Jed Hogan like in terms of, you know, and, and that's not to, to pigeonhole you into that, but it, it does no, kind of, I know. there's a kind of a sense of, um, you know, there's always someone worse off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> But, uh, I'm your worst self case. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but everyone uh, so you, if you do have any questions for our October episode you can as always get in touch with us on askingforaparent@gmail.com or during the you can get us through the Twitter Instagram and Facebook pages and we'd be happy to answer them and we'll be coming back to you probably around Halloween time I would imagine um, it's all going to plan on the 22nd of October uh, uh, we'll be we'll be back after that um, but uh, Jen Hogan columnist of the Irish Times parenting uh, expert and, and good friend Thank you so much for your time Ed. today. Uh, it's a pleasure for you to join me from the Ford Transit uh, <laughs> in, in County Dublin. And um, to the listeners out there, uh, well done, everybody. We got this far. Let's keep going and take care. Stay safe and bye for now.